it all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Tom Foster, founder and CEO of Strapworks. Strapworks was founded in 1976 as a rafting supply company specializing in straps. They were the first company to truly offer any length and any color for any strap their customers needed. Unfortunately, in 1991, Strapworks offices were broken into and the company almost went bankrupt but recovered from that tragedy. In 2005, they moved into their first 3,000-square-foot warehouse with three employees, and today, they're located in a 60,000-square-foot warehouse with over 60 employees. Over the years, they've worked with over 400,000 customers in every industry, on every continent, and even in space. They supply straps to the International Space Station. Strapworks takes pride in being the only U.S.-based manufacturer truly offering strap customization from quantity one to over 100,000 and anything in between for everyone, business, or individual. Tom Foster, welcome into the corner office. Thank you very much, Brent. Oh, great to have you here. And, you know, we spoke, uh, I guess, back in August. We're recording this just a few days before Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, it brought back fond memories. I think I told you I'm an Oregon duck. And uh, I get back to Eugene once a year for a football game. Unfortunately, not this year, right? Uh, I think Autzen Stadium. Do they have the stand-ups there, Tom? What do they, they do, do have, for the games? They do have some stand-ups in the end zones. <laughs> uh, and it's it's kind of eerie to watch a home yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, it's just not it's just not right. <laughs> well, they've had a tough year, so I guess it just shows how much the crowd really influences the Mighty Ducks, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> well, listen, let's start with just checking in on you. Uh, when we last spoke, it's hard to say we were in the middle of the pandemic. I think the middle keeps moving, but uh, it sounds like you were doing fine at the time. Give us a little update. How are you, your family and your colleagues doing through this uh, interesting and sometimes challenging times? Well, the family is fine. Um, great to hear. And we are a family-owned and operated business. So right. my daughter works here, my son-in-law, uh, uh, my daughter-in-law. Now, my son passed away last year. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so he's that. no longer with us. Yeah. And then, of course, my wife and I. And uh, we have uh, escaped any of the um, really bad stuff regarding COVID. Of course, we're all bored to tears because we can't go anywhere. Uh, and <laughs> Importantly, do no duck games, right? Other than work. Um, <laughs> but uh, as, as far as work is concerned, we've had, uh, we've had a few scares, if you will. Uh, relatives of employees have oh, yeah. tested positive. Right. Uh, and, and some relatives have had symptoms, but ended up 
becoming negative. So uh, we've escaped it here in the factory, though. Glad to hear uh, it. We are, of course, doing an awful lot of the CDC as well as Oregon OSHA recommended procedures, six feet apart. Yeah, Everybody yeah. does wear a mask in the factory. Uh, and so we're, we're taking precautions where we can. Uh, business has uh, actually grown. Wow. And we Good found this um, true first in the recession of 2008 and 9. Right. Um, so many people lost jobs mm. uh, and they, they just started up little cottage industries and since we cater to that a great deal, right. uh, business just exploded. Well, wow. when this happened, it was certainly different. It wasn't a recession by any means. Um, and we didn't know what to expect. But because we pivoted quickly, and I know people hate that word, but uh, <laughs> we, we really did. We, we pivoted into selling predominantly mask supplies, especially um Elastic and cordox, and, and yeah, in three right, months, right. I sold uh, over a million yards of elastic and over two wow. million cord locks, uh, more than I had sold in the previous twenty years. Wow! Um, now, after that initial kind of shock wave of activity, our normal customers started coming back. Coming back, yeah, um, they fantastic. were ordering as regularly as they did previously. Some were ordering more. Uh, also in response to uh, the pandemic. So it, it seems like industries that have been either on the front lines or into um, emergency services, things of that nature, uh, have have thrived during the pandemic. Right. And, right. Uh, and that certainly includes us. We supply right. the people who, who kind of are on the front lines and out there uh, in the trenches. So uh, it's actually been good for us, um, but we certainly have our reservations uh, in the sense that every day we have to be very vigilant, very alert, remind our employees not yes. to do silly and stupid things be outside yeah. work. Right, um, right. So it keeps moving along. And we're yeah. very encouraged to hear the news of the vaccines. That's right. Uh, yeah. We do flu shots here every year. The company pays for them. And we intend, it, it's our understanding um, that the COVID vaccines will be free. That's right. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, if there are expenses, we'll cover that. And yeah. while we can't demand it, we're certainly encouraging that everybody uh, participate and that uh, we get it to a point where at least within the confines of our building here, we really don't have to worry much about yeah. it. Well, that's great. And congrats on the pivot and obviously becoming an essential industry in many ways, right? And yes. preparing all the, the information there. Well, let's start uh, talking a little bit about your early years. Uh, are you an Oregonian by birth or are you a migrant? And tell I, us where I, you grew up and you know your I, early family life. I'm a migrant, just like okay. more people <laughs> who would admit. Most Oregonians. Uh, but, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, but I was born in Miami, Florida. Okay. Um, my my parents uh, owned a bar and a restaurant and ran charter boats out of Hallover Docks. Oh, right. And so I was kind of a, a boat rat for boat rat, my young right. years yeah. and uh, <laughs> went out every day fishing. Um, and then my, my parents got divorced and um, mom and the kids moved to Oklahoma. Oh, wow. And places. we became yeah. farm kids at that yeah. point in time. Grew yeah. up on a farm. Big difference. Uh, in my formative years, I guess you would say. Uh, and when I was a senior in high school, uh, my stepdad, 
at that time was involved in aviation. All right. Um, he had helped develop and and uh, market the Jet Commander, and uh, so that was bought out by an outfit uh, in California. Hmm. So we ended up moving to California. Wow. wow. Um, that's where right I met my wife. Country. Yeah. And uh, went to college. Went to uh, UC Davis. Yeah. And uh, got into rafting. Got into uh, the need to make straps and <clears throat> and have straps and uh and then uh, up, up in the american river i guess right yes that's, that's, that's exactly what, yeah. right uh, i used to take did. my older kids up there all the time and boy i really loved uh doing all those uh threes and fours i think there's a five or two as well depending on the time of year well not on the south fork but on the yeah, north fork the north certainly fork. Yeah, and we yeah, ran yeah. uh we ran a number of rivers in California, but also a number of rivers in Oregon. And right. my wife and I were spending so much time in Oregon. Uh, we said it really makes a lot more sense to live up here and and then have somebody manage our business in California. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we did that until. And when did you uh, move up to Eugene, Tom? Uh, we moved up to Eugene actually in 1979. Oh, wow. So well, we. You know, to be honest, that was the same year I was there. Believe it or not, I was there from 78 to 80 at, at Eugene. At, at we, uh, we've been here town. certainly longer than anywhere else. And, yeah. uh, uh, certainly consider ourselves Oregonians. Our children yeah. were born here. Grandkids were born here. And uh, I suspect, you know, Oregon, sadly, is not uh, a business-friendly state. Um, there have been a number of things in the last couple of years that have discouraged us a great deal. But I think uh, I think with the grandkids being here, unless everybody voted and decided to pick up and move, uh, we're, we're pretty much here we're through the end game. Yeah. Now, you went to Davis and you studied uh, science and renewable resources. Tell me a little about that. What led you to, to that um, degree? And, you know, have, has that been an important part of kind of who you are over time in terms well, of Well, when I was in Oklahoma, I, I worked for a couple of veterinarians and I absolutely wanted to be a vet ah. uh, when I came and, and um, you know, saw that there were great programs in California. That was neat. So I started pursuing that. Uh, unfortunately, my counselors did not tell me of related work experience of which the Oklahoma days were not relevant. Right. Uh, so I got into my senior year in college with absolutely no background um, uh, experience to move into the vet school. And so once again, the word pivot, um, right, I decided, right. well, you know, I'm going to check out some soil sciences here. Renewable natural resources, which was big in the mid seventies, sure. And uh, and I went in that direction, and I really, really developed a love for rivers because I was doing uh, vegetation studies along the American River from right. literally uh, Sacramento up to Lake Tahoe. Yeah, and uh, uh, really, really got into the river aspect of it, and uh, I started the whitewater rafting program at UC Davis. Right. And while I was still in school, I, I started Sierra Whitewater Expeditions and uh, would do that on the weekends and school during the week. And um, so it uh, it just kind of was a, a real, natural a real evolution. A real passion of yours, it sounds exactly. like. Do you, do you still raft? Do you go out and do that and take the family out? or We actually so have a raft know? hanging in the factory. <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> we have a winch and we, we load it up and, and take it up and we have a nice bay door back there. So when we're ready to go, we back the trailer in, all set. drop the raft on it, and away we go. We do company trips, uh, certainly still do private trips, fishing, uh, that type of thing. So, yes, 
not certainly not like uh, in the college days or in the in the full time rafting days, but <laughs> right, uh, right. we do still go out. Yeah. Well, the, the Strapworks, of course, is founded, as we said in the bio, uh, based on the rafting industry. I think that's how you began the supply. Tell us a little bit about what came up to that. Were you working in another job prior to founding Strapworks? And was it industry related or did you pursue something in the soil science and renewable natural resources area for a while before you got into uh, being an entrepreneur? Prior to the rafting, I was I was basically a teenager, so I had you know some part time, typical part time jobs, fast food and right. a drive in dairy, that type of thing. Um, and when we went to Davis, I I got a job uh, with the university in both the outdoor center as well as um, uh, the plant sciences department. And so I was out helping develop uh, a new strain of tomatoes, which would mm. taste good on the table, but still be pickable by machine. And then uh, when I wasn't doing that, I was in the outdoor department sewing tents and parkas. And and, uh, I I had developed, um, when I was still in Southern California and going to junior college, I had bought a very small raft and was rafting up on Sespe Creek, which is a wild trout fishery just north of Los Angeles, an amazing area, a uh, condor sanctuary. Mm. And so we would go up there and we were, we were kind of getting into floating and what have you. So when I moved up north, um, I took that little raft up on the American River. <laughs> it was in full flood. Um, a ranger at the park told us, uh, oh, it's okay, you know. Um, if you fall in, no big deal. Well, as I said, it was in full flood. <laughs> wow. We lost our raft. Oh goodness. Uh, my wife got wrapped around some willows that were in, um, underwater in the high water. Oh no. And it was, it was a, a traumatic day. Yeah. I now imagine. my wife didn't get back on the water for a long time, but <laughs> right. uh, I wanted to go the next weekend. I wanted yeah. to figure out what I had done wrong, fix it. And get going. Right. Well, at that time in, in whitewater rafting's history, most gear was being tied into the raft with ropes, cords, uh, these types of things. Straps right. were not really a thing at that time. And so um, I started looking around for a better way. I, I stumbled upon uh, cam buckles and heavyweight polypropylene webbing and started uh, making black straps because hmm. black webbing was readily available. And uh, uh, people said, those are great. Can we have some? So I'd make them for other folks. Pretty soon everybody's arguing over whose straps are whose. <laughs> and that's when I came across the idea to make different colored straps, hmm. uh, basically so different people wouldn't argue over whose were whose. <laughs> Mine are yellow, yours are green, the other oh, person's white. That's great. Uh, but then after that, we kind of developed it further and uh, and started then color coding for length. Mm. Uh, because if you had all black straps and you wanted a two-footer, how do you tell which one is a two-footer? Right. Uh, right. Without going through all 30-foot straps, all 30 straps. So we then started color coding uh, by length. And we're still the only strap manufacturer in the U.S. that that will make um, any strap, any length, any color. Hmm. And today we've been very fortunate to uh, be involved in the sublimation technology. And so we can literally uh, print not only any color, but any pattern 
Uh, we can even print photographs on the webbing wow. and, uh, and have done so. So we do some pretty crazy things. I uh, do a lot of branded stuff. But initially, quite frankly, right out of high school, um, I, I went into working at the colleges that I was at at the time. And then while I was in college, I got involved in rafting. Right. Uh, and so when I got out of college, um, uh, that became my full-time job. Yeah, yeah. My, my degree. But it was, it was about 20 years, though, until you uh, founded Strapworks. So were you doing it as an other entity? Well, no, or we, were, it... we were actually uh, making um, product as Strapworks. We were first making product as Sierra Whitewater. And that's because that was the name of the rafting company. Right, and it just seemed right. natural to uh, to call the the gear part of it that as well. Uh, but in the in the nineties, um, we we decided that you know it should be separated. Okay, and so we got went it. with Strapworks, and then in uh, two thousand um, is when I developed our website, and then it became very necessary to uh, to really start enforcing the brand, encouraging right. the brand. So you've been you've been doing this close to 40 years, not just 20 years. Oh, absolutely no. We've been <laughs> we've literally been making straps since 1975. Yeah. And uh, uh so that's uh 45 years now. And now other than the rafting industry, who else do you supply straps to, Tom? Uh literally every industry on the planet. Yeah. Um we we sell to um uh, like I say, the emergency services, so uh, yeah. EMTs, uh, fire suppression, things like that. NASA is a client, Cirque wow. du Soleil, uh, major movie studios, um, and and literally any industry that has a need for a tie-down. The neat thing about straps is that it's a cradle-to-grave industry. Mm -hmm. When you bring your mm -hmm. baby home from the hospital, <laughs> right. you're locking that baby in with a strap. That seatbelt right. is a That's strap. Right. Yeah. And as gross as it sounds, when you pass away, they lower your casket into the ground with straps. <laughs> with straps, that's right. Now, the neat thing is that it's a little bit tacky to try to recover those straps. Oh, so right, once right. the once the casket is in the ground, the straps are thrown in with it, uh, and and they are buried along um, with the casket. So little it's a uh, fact. As long as people keep passing away, we will still keep making those straps. You've got that industry. That's great. Right. And how many employees today, Tom? Uh, we have 60 as of wow. today. That's great. And all in Eugene, or you have separate sales operations? No, we're a, we're a one location operation. Yeah. We do right. sell globally, and we actually have straps on the International Space Station. Wow. Uh, so we're an interstellar company. Uh, <laughs> I love that. But love we only that. have one location, and that's right here in Eugene. Well, you're an entrepreneur from the from the word go. Tell us some of those early leadership and management lessons you learned. You know, particularly in the early days and in the in the '80s, and you know, it's getting things going to to you know your own company, obviously in the rafting industry and others there. Um, well, the the neat thing about rafting when you're in college, of course, is if you have a dollar in your pocket, you're making it. Right, and and right. so I I did not have any business training, and uh, and certainly that contributed to the point when when we experienced um uh, the theft of our of our funds yeah, and right. some of our resources uh that that we were not nearly as prepared as we might have been um to recover from that so the early days were kind of by the seat of our pants and uh um learned a lot by simply listening to my clients what they mm. liked what they didn't like mm. 
uh, and and incorporating what was there. And of course, when I didn't have a trip on the river, I was working for other outfitters as well. Of course. So yeah. I always had my eyes and ears open. Uh, right. What is that guy doing that I can incorporate? Uh, I am really, really big on on looking around, and it doesn't have to be a competitor. Um, I love taking factory tours. I love to see mm. how people run their factories, and if there's something there, uh, I don't care whether they're making uh, plastic handholds or whether they're making uh, uh, cribs or bicycles. Uh, there's always something in a factory that can be adapted to almost any factory setting. And so we we really, really look around. Now, since we went online, uh, I've really kind of been forced to um, to seek out more business knowledge. Right. Uh, our first order, in fact, I, I made the website in the closet of my bedroom, <laughs> and it was a vanity thing. My mother did not know I had it. Uh, nobody knew I had a website except me, I thought. And a month later, when I went back in to work again on my website, there was an order. Hmm. And I was utterly shocked. Um, <laughs> it was an order for one buckle, which I did not have. I had to go to Joanne Fabrics and buy a buckle for $2 that I had sold for 85 cents. Um, I shipped it in a rice box. Um, <laughs> the client loved that. She thought I was great at recycling, uh, but it's what I had. And so I asked my son, uh, who was in high school at the time, I said, how is this possible? How did this person find me? Find you, yeah. And so he started teaching me about spiders and search engines and this right. type of thing. Uh, and he became involved in the the computer end of the business. And uh, and from that point, we've we've moved on to where um, it's 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 all computer based now. What, and what I, part of I, your business is online today? Yeah, well, most all of it. We we have no retail presence other than people who buy from us and resell. Right. Uh, we do not have a store. Um, we're thinking about changing that, but there's there's I respect retail people. That to me, that's harder than even what I do. Sure. Um, and I'm here 10 to 12 hours a day, but retail <laughs> just sounds like it's too hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, well, when it Tell me about the first time you started managing people other than your direct family. What was that like? Well, um, that was probably after our um, first move. Mm -hmm, As I mentioned, mm -hmm. we started in our home uh, and we got away with that for about three years. I say we got away with it because... We didn't have a permit to be running a business in our home. Right. And after a while with UPS and FedEx showing up, um, one of the neighbors <laughs> complained, fair enough. And the city told us you have 30 days to find a business location. Right. And so were you we actually found, making the straps at home, like in your garage? Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. love it. No, the, love the, it. The, the, the warehouse was the garage and, right. and my son's bedroom uh, was the sewing area because he had moved out. Okay. And so we said, you know, we'd love to have you back someday, but not now. <laughs> so, Other priorities. Right? Yeah. But they gave us 30 days. And um, very fortunately, uh, we found a place in Eugene uh, that had a shop attached to it, a uh, 3,000 foot shop. Wow. And so, and that, and that particular area of town was known for cottage industries. There was a, a ceramic shop next door. The property we bought had been uh, an automotive shop at one time and also an archery shop at one time. So we felt we could move in. Um, my industry is extremely quiet. We don't make any noise. 
Uh, so we weren't disturbing anybody. And, uh, and that's when we started hiring employees. When right. we got to that point, uh, we, our first hire was three employees to uh, do part of the office work and to be sewing. And uh, it, was, uh, it, it was fun at that yeah. time. Not that it isn't now, but it was just fun <laughs> because there were just a small group of us. Sure. Um, and I do remember at the time, um, my son had gotten into online gambling, which was legal at the time. Um, online poker, I should say. Right. And, uh, and there was a thing that was called the jingle that happened once a week. And it was a dollar to buy in. And when you bust it out, you could buy back in for a dollar. Uh, and so all these people were constantly playing. It happened at three in the afternoon. And we didn't close at three in the afternoon, except on jingle day. <laughs> and we closed and all the computers we had suddenly became uh, online poker stations. <laughs> and, uh, but then we, uh, the, the next big leap, we got an order from uh, Toys R Us. Oh, boy. And they wanted to put a little net on every ladder they had in every store across the country. Right. Um, and they had a supplier who could not meet their timeline. So they called us. Uh, we were asking for more money for the product. We negotiated a little bit. They paid more. We took less. And uh, But I knew I was going to have to have an assembly line type setup to get this done in time. And we hired six people. Wow. And we told all of them that this is temporary. We have a contract. We're going to use you. Uh, but you know what? In about eight weeks, uh, we've got to let you go. And when the eight weeks came around, actually, it was about five weeks because we did finish the project early. And uh, uh, we kept three of them on. Wow. Um, and it was great because three of them were okay for helping us with that, but they weren't the greatest employees. The other three were really sharp yeah, found some and good uh, two of yeah. them are still with us today. So oh, that's fantastic. Um, that's how, that's how you, we started getting into hiring. Yeah, that's great. How would you describe your company culture? You know, you've, you kind of really have evolved it so much over the years. You've changed names, you've changed locations. What, what's stayed consistent and what's changed over that period? Well, what has stayed consistent is the family atmosphere. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. We like to say today that, that we've got about 55 foster children. <laughs> and, uh, I love that. Tom. Uh, they're, they're all family. And, yeah. and there are times, quite frankly, when they come in and cry on our shoulder. <laughs> I was going to say with all the, all the uh, responsibilities that come along with that. Right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, that we have maintained from day one. Um, yeah. I always wanted to make it, um, you know, what, how would I want to be treated sure. by a boss? Um, and, and that's how I'm going to treat my employees. I think what has changed um, has been uh, a belief that I had to be the lowest priced. Um, I, I remember in the rafting days, I had a Rogue River permit hmm. and um, I wasn't filling any of my trips. I was only charging $200 for a four-day trip. Wow. And I was still making some money. Uh, but I asked one of the other outfitters, I said, why, why do you think I'm not getting the business I want to get? And they said, you're too low. You're too cheap. Nobody yeah. believes that you can run a good trip at that wow. price. Wow. So I doubled my price and mm. sold out of my season. Ha, there you go. And, and that was a little <laughs> bit of an awakening, although it still took me years to get beyond the, the discounting mentality. 
Right. And now while we offer quantity discounts, we offer wholesale discounts, uh, we still look at our products and we say, look, this product is worth this. High quality. And yeah. that's what we're going to charge for it. If everybody yeah. doesn't buy it, that's okay. Yeah. Um, we can't we can't afford to have everybody buy our product. Um, we could never be that big. Right. And right. so if everybody bought their belts from us, we we would have to have you know, 50 factories this size sure, uh, sure. to do that. So uh, we're okay with some people that, that may think uh, we're not right for them. Uh, but we also do about $8 million in business annually. Uh, so we do have quite a few people uh, that think we're right in line. Yeah, that's great. So that's what stayed the same. What, what's, what's, what's changed over the years? Well, certainly um, my personal activity with each mm. of my employees. Yeah. Um, I have some employees that I work with every day, obviously my COO, HR, uh, CFO, uh, the managers. Uh, but on occasion now, when we hire somebody, it may take me a couple of weeks to learn their name. Right. And right. that was certainly never a problem in the past. Um, yeah. yeah. So the, the, just the size of the company has um, dictated that I can't be into as many things as I want to be into. And I think it has defined my role as a CEO uh, in a much more traditional um, fashion. Right. In that if I can't do everything, which I can't, <laughs> then what do I do? Well, you do CEO stuff. Right. Um, I'm supposed to provide the vision. I'm supposed to provide uh, the guidance. And, and I'm supposed to provide, hopefully, uh, the, the money. And so uh, that has changed a great deal. Um, I do spend a lot more time examining what we're doing, why we're doing it, what we should drop, uh, what we should add, and uh, and kind of arm wrestling and arguing with hmm. uh, the people I trust in the business as to where we're going and what we're doing. First generational CEOs like yourself, and not saying this is the case with you, but it often happens that they can be very much of a micromanager, right? Because they're used to doing all the business for many years. You know, it was you and Donna. And well, I did do it. I, I did absolutely. absolutely everything. I yeah. cut the, you know, I, I bought the webbing. I cut the webbing. I sewed the webbing. <laughs> you used the webbing. <laughs> I, I, you know, some of my you employees look out. at me and say, how does he know to sell that well? Uh, well, I've been doing it for 45 years. I just don't do it every day now. So and, how do you, uh, how do you kind of resist the temptation of, of micromanaging others? You know, when, when, when is the right time to get involved and when is the right time to, to stand back? Well, rafting helped me in that because we did mm. rafting schools, whitewater schools. Sure. And typically as you're floating down the river and they're about to hit a rock, you don't really want the raft torn in half. So sometimes <laughs> you'll step in and inevitably they would always say, I was about to do that. Well, no, right. they weren't. <laughs> so there comes a time when you have to let the raft hit the rocks. Right, right. So that they understand you weren't paying attention. You weren't looking. <laughs> this is You've what You've got to do this. So yeah. it's the same here. Uh, there are times when we have to let people sew a strap wrong. So we can say, you know, why didn't you look at the prototype? Yeah, the why model. didn't you yeah, look right. at the uh, the fabrication notes? And so it's it's really... Uh, it's not that difficult sometimes to step back as long as it's not uh, a critical situation. And then because we do have a very, very good 
uh, management system here. Uh, it's it's really my job to go to their manager, sure, and say you got to get on that person. We yeah, yeah. we have a pretty strict, um, both from the top down and from the bottom up. Um, my employees can come and talk to me at any time. I'm mm. not in a closed office. I'm in an open area. I can be right. approached at any time, and they always ask, "Are you busy?" And my answer is, of course, I'm busy, <laughs> but I will stop what I'm doing and talk to you. Right. Um, but they know if they have an, an issue that can be handled by their manager, it should yeah, be. That's where they should And go. if it can't yeah. be handled by the manager, they can go to the COO. And if it can't be handled there, they can go to HR. And finally, if all of those people have failed them in some way, they can come to me. You're the last court of appeal. Yeah. The opposite yeah. is true. I don't yeah. need to go talk to an employee. If there's a department that is underperforming, I'll talk to the COO. He'll talk to the manager. They'll talk to their staff. And so I think it's my job, more or less, to walk around the factory, um, to keep a smile on everybody's mm. face. Uh, this morning, for instance, we passed out uh, pumpkin and apple pies for all mm. of our employees for Thanksgiving. Nice. Yeah. And so, you know, basically... Uh, visitors to our factory, they they notice two things. The first thing they say is, my God, it's so clean here. Well, <laughs> sewing is a pretty clean industry. You know, you sure. just uh, sweep up and you're good to go. And then they said, and all your people are smiling. Yeah. Um, we try very, very hard today. When we bring a new person on, I say, I, I have two goals. I want you to stay here a long time, but I also want you to get up every morning and be happy that you're mm. coming to work. Right. Right. Well, tell me about that. You're up to 60 employees now. It sounds like your business is doing well despite the pandemic or maybe because of, and you've continued to grow. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire, Tom? This industry does not have, um, if you're going to be an electrician, uh, you, you go do an apprenticeship. Get your certification. And, right. and yeah. The, yeah, yeah. And, but not in sewing. Uh, we have a lot of people here, both men and women, um, that have done sewing in the past. We've got mm -hmm. guys that are leather workers uh, that come in and, and they're pretty good on the machines right away. And we have women uh, who have done it, but very, very few people that come here have any experience with our automatic pattern tacking machines. Sure. Right. So we do an awful lot of training. Right. Now what we're looking at, much like we were in rafting, we're looking at personalities. Mm. Um, you know, you, you can, you can teach anybody how to get from point A to point B on a river. You can't teach them how to be a guide. That's that right. almost has to be inherent. Yeah. Here, we can teach anybody to sew. But of course, as a lot of them, well, most employers should know, uh, you can't teach people how to be a good employee. Right. Uh, they almost right. have to be. Uh, and then you can help them be better, typically. And that's what we focus on. We look... Um, and unfortunately, a lot of young people nowadays have these starter jobs. Mm, they work mm, here for mm, a year. They go over yeah, here for two years, yeah. over there for two years. And we're looking at uh, an employment record that is so checkered that, you know, well, are you going to stay here for six months or a year right. or, or what? Because right, right. uh, we don't want to spend the money training you if you're not going to be here. Uh, so we do look at that and we, we look for people that uh, perhaps got downsized or the business sure. went out of business or sold uh, and but they were with a business for a long, long time, right, and right, they're looking longevity. now for their forever home, yeah. uh, so to speak. They want to retire somewhere. They want to do it. Um, I would say, quite frankly, our average 
uh, age here is is probably around 40. Wow. But we have a number of people who are in their early 20s. We have people who are in their 60s. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's all over the place. And, yeah. and we certainly give young people a chance. And we certainly have no uh, problems with hiring older people. Yeah. Um, it's not a physically demanding job. You, right. you sit down, you line up your strap, you push the button. The machine does the work. Right, right. Um, and so stocking the, uh, stocking the shelves is more... Uh, exhausting than, than right. sewing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you obviously get involved in all of the hiring, I'm sure for the people that report directly to you, but probably from time to time, you know, down the line, but you probably don't put a lot of time into it. You got to trust your people to develop them. You know, if, you, if you've got just five or 10 minutes with someone, what, what do you try to zero in on? What, what questions do you ask? What do you try to find out from them? If this is someone that's uh, you've been asked to hire or you've been asked to interview as part of the hiring process. We always ask if they've been to our website. Mm. Someone who wants to work for us and hasn't been to our website, I, I am very leery about that. That they means they're not curious them. at all. Yeah, right. They don't really know what we do. Uh, there's nothing wrong with needing a job. Um, in fact, I used to ask all my rafting guides that, why do you want to be a rafting guide? And the ones that would say, because I need a job. I would hire before someone who said, oh, it looks like it'd be fun. <laughs> right, it's not fun. Right. It's hard work. Yeah, Any job yeah. is hard work. Um, so if people have been to my website and they seem to have a sense of what I'm doing, they've got a big leg up just mm. right there. Hmm. And then, of course, uh, we will ask them, why did you leave your last job? Um, and we do a lot of listening. I, I think a lot of people interview and ask questions. They just question, question, question. Right. Uh, we have a tendency to ask questions and then listen, listen, listen. We may say, you know, please elaborate on that or give me some more details. Um, we do have uh, ex-felons here. We try to give that population an opportunity. Right. And quite frankly, it's turned out far more often than it hasn't. Um as I mentioned, seniors, if you will, veterans. Um, and we have some folks that are on um, the autistic scale. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we try to work with alternative populations as well uh, because they, quite frankly, they have a tendency to be very, very loyal. Right. Uh, they come to right. a job, they are getting self-satisfaction out of it. And as a result, they're doing the best job they can for yeah. you. Yeah. And they're, they, they're very loyal and they stay around. Yeah, great. It sounds like you've got very high retention rates. What's kind of the average uh, years of employment of, of your employee across the right now? Year? It's it's really uh, up, approaching five plus years. That's great. That's uh, we've great. got several people that are in the uh, ten to thirteen year range, um, and then we do have because of this year with with our growth uh, during the pandemic, we probably have a, about a dozen new people uh, that are still in their first year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we do hire, we don't hesitate to hire, um, husbands and wives, um, sometimes mom and son, right. maybe not, but, um, <laughs> being a family business, we're, we're open, uh, to having other families as part yeah. of the operation. We have a client out in, uh, 
Long Island in New York that has 500 employees and they're very a family business, third generation. And he's very proud to say we have 500 employees and 400 families. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Tom, you've been very generous with your time, but we always ask one last question to all our guests. And, you know, what career life advice would you give someone that maybe has their eyes on a corner office or, or like you, wants to become an entrepreneur and have their own business someday? Well, certainly um, go for your dream. Now, my dream was not an $8 million company. Um, I did Making very straps. much enjoy straps <laughs> and wanted to be uh, a strap maker, yeah. uh, a fabricator, if you will. But at the same time, uh, certainly pick something you like. I mean, there's the cliche, uh, if, if you uh, are working at something uh, that you like, you'll never go to work That's a day right. in your life. That's right. Yeah. Um, so from that point of view, certainly look in that direction. I would also say um, that, that we were a cash company, both to our benefit and our detriment. Uh, right up until the time when we needed to build our own factory. Right. And and it's it was great not to be in debt. It was yeah. really great to go to a bank and say, no, I don't have a credit history, but here's what I have. Right. I have $300,000 right. in the bank as a down payment on a $500,000 property. Yeah. And um, a million dollars of I, I have in no pipeline. debt. <laughs> I, I have, yeah, right, I have a million right. dollars in inventory free and clear. I have a million dollars in in machinery free and clear. Uh, and that's what I have. And and the yeah. more you can stay out of debt, the better. Yeah. Um, I, I am, uh, I, I, maybe I'm jealous. I suppose people could call me jealous of these tech companies that haven't made a penny in their history <laughs> and yet are valued yeah. at billions of dollars. Right. Uh, I don't completely understand that. Um, and <laughs> Not maybe too many people a, do, Tom. <laughs> maybe that's a class I missed in college. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but certainly, you know, find something that that gets you up every morning. Yeah. Um, I Like I say, I work 10 to 12 hours every day. I don't get tired of it. Some of my people tell me, go home. Um, <laughs> you know, go do something else. And, and of course, when I play, I play hard. Uh, we try to go to Hawaii every year. Um, all of our vacations, we try to make tropical. Uh, we certainly have uh, family get-togethers as much as possible. And uh, but but boy, if you can get up every morning and and want to go to work, you're in the right area. Yeah. That's great. Well, Tom Foster, CEO at Strapworks, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Well, thank you for talking with me today, Brant. And uh, I hope uh, you and yours stay safe throughout the rest of the pandemic. And let's hope that vaccine gets out as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your family as well. Just two days away. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 